looks like we piqued your interest in the hideout. First of all, let me tell you what the hideout is not. The hideout is not for hustlers, for grinders, or for people who are looking for a shortcut to what the world calls success. The hideout is about growing as men, creating lifelong friendships, and having the time of our lives. Are you ready to tap in to the endless source that will take you from success to significance? The hideout is two and a half days of hiking, biking, and doing the little things that it takes to create lifelong friendships. I find that joy is nothing more than falling in love with your current circumstances and allowing magic to happen. And that's when we see growth in every area of your life. Have you accomplished your goals professionally and financially and you still thirst for something more? Has success in these areas come at the expense of far more valuable things like your family, your children, and your relationships? Alignment in business, strategic partnerships, and joint ventures all come from true relationships. The hideout is designed to get to know people before you'll ever need them. This is not your typical mastermind. The hideout is focused on the one thing that will fuel everything, joy. And when joy is overflowing in your life, you'll find growth in your marriage, your relationships, and oh yeah, your business. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas podcast where attitude is everything. Uh, I have this huge smile on my face because every single time I watch that video, my brother produced it. Um, my brother-in-law is one of the best filmmakers in the world. He can tell stories like no other, and it just gives me chills. It's actually, we're on the eve of it right now. Um, the hideout is the 23rd through the 25th. It's sold out. The winter is coming, mm. though, and so I'm super excited about that. But even more excited uh, in my heart is this man that's on the other end of the screen. Because it has taken, I would say, the better part of a year uh, for us to be able to be face-to-face -face or virtually face-to-face -face like we are right now. Yeah. And we got a, a chance, uh, we, we got introduced by a guy, a guy named Bill Bloom, and Bill Bloom is probably one of the most high-integrity guys I've ever met in my life. I told him that I was going to force him to be my friend when I first met him. And he reached out to me and he told me that, you know, you got to meet Mike, you got to meet Mike, you guys got to connect. And I remember connecting and there was this, you know, there was phone calls and there was texts and there was all these things. And, and I just didn't make it a priority. And I want to apologize for that. But what I saw with this man is that no matter what it was, no matter how long it took, he still stayed in his integrity, stayed in his character, and he was kind the whole way through until almost a year later where I get a chance to be able to have him on the show. And so I just I, I want to uh, thank him for being on. Uh, so please welcome author, coach, uh, like uh, let's see, author, coach, and entrepreneur, Mr. Mike yeah. Malatesta. Did I say it right? I got it yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Yeah, thank you so much. So that was a really nice uh, intro. And, hey, by the way, uh, I do thank Bill as well for connecting us. And you said chill. So Bill and chill. I got chills watching that video too. That's like, I'm like, this is like the best show I've ever been on. I've never been treated like I'm going on like a, a real show and a podcast. So congratulations. That, that is really nice. Really nice. Really well, nice. I, I really appreciate it, man. And, and the reason why I have chills about the hideout is because I told my wife, I said, you know, we, we bought a house up in, it's actually the hideout is in the town of hideout in Utah. Oh. And um, 
I wanted to create this this uh, environment like the Little Rascals, and um, where they could go and they could hide out from everything in their life, hide out from all the accomplishments, and simply accept all the greatness that was inside them. And a lot of times, as men, we don't get the opportunity to do that. And yeah. as men, we're kind of we have to put on this shell, right? Like I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm the man. Blah, 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 blah. And it's amazing because everyone at the hideout is the greatest at what they do. So when you come, you get to drop everything and just be who you are as opposed to what you do. And so yeah. it's it's awesome, man. But that's enough about that part. I When you said it was great, because, Mike, when we got on the call, you said, like, what do you like to talk about? And I said, I like to talk about you. Um, right. I like to talk about who you are. And, you know, can you talk to us about why it's so important for you to do the right thing? Like you're such a kind individual. I haven't got to spend that much time with you, but in every interaction, the kindness has just, it's flowed through the phone. It flows through the video. Why is kindness so very, very important to you? Well, so a couple of things. First, I don't think I always was kind. Um, so it's been sort of a learned behavior over time, but I think I've come to realize that there's no point in being anything, but at least, and I, and I can't say that I'm perfect at it, Kelly, I'm not, but to me, there's no purpose in being anything, but not kind, because <clears throat> first of all, it's easy, it's free. Uh, and uh, I feel like people deserve that from me until they don't, if they don't, you know, if that ever comes, but it's it's very rare that you offer kindness and don't get it back. So talk to me though too, because I think a lot of times, and I was talking with my friend Ivan about this, and a lot of times people will mistake your kindness for weakness, especially in business. And you've had yeah. ma you've had massive success. And when I say success, I, every listener out there knows, but I'm going to say it for you, Mike, is every listener that's been riding with us on the podcast understands that when I talk about success, it has nothing to do with money and it has nothing to do with things. It has all mm -hmm. to do with people being in line with their purpose. But you've experienced some, some high-level stuff in your life. And I think a lot of times people, especially in business, they, they equate sometimes where they see the kindness and they're like, oh, I'm going to try and take advantage of it. But you seem to keep doing the, the right thing. Has there been a time where you've said, like, maybe I want to back off this thing because maybe I'm not getting the return that I want? Um, no. no. Um, and I do want to say that in addition to the kindness thing, um, I'm also very quiet. So that's like two things that probably aren't... Um, in the playbook of, you know, how to uh, exert power in a relationship of, a, of any kind or authority or confidence or anything else. So I, so both of those things I, I have within me, I would say that um, this is how it normally works. I'll, you know, if I meet people um, in a group setting or something, I'm usually very quiet, not weirdly quiet, but very quiet. I usually like to listen way more than I talk because I want to learn what, you know, what's going on here. Um, and I think sometimes uh, people sort of that, that, that can make people feel like I'm not, um, uh, you know, the alpha, I guess, in the, in the, in the meeting and not that I'm mean to be the alpha, but you know, yeah, I think you know what I'm, what I mean, but <clears throat> ultimately I feel like if it matters over time, they, they, they start to realize that that 
that's who I am, not because I don't know something, not because I don't have confidence and not because I don't think I can contribute, but I am not going to be the person who gets off on the wrong foot by thinking I know everything and thinking that speaking up or, you know, showing some sort of immediate dominance is, is like a winning strategy. So, so, I, so, so where, where does that, where does that come from, Mike? Like, you know, was this a, I mean, was your dad a, a super stoic? You seem like a very stoic guy and the stoic guys are the ones you always have to be aware of because they have the wisdom because most of the time mm. the dude that's out there shouting and beating his chest is the most insecure in the room. And the guy who's just chilling, you know, I, I've always, you, I've heard this over and over again that the, the strongest man in the room will never hurt you because he knows he can but the weakest man will try and, yeah. you know, try and come at you as much as possible. And I mean, did you see this example with your, with your parents? Did you see it with your dad? Did you see it with uncles? Um, where did that, that part come from? You know, um, my parents were, um, I don't know if stoic is the right word, but calm, like all the time calm. I didn't come from a household where there was a lot of, um, there was, you know, no yelling, no, no, uh, unstableness, if that's a word. And I think that, that definitely has, has, has stuck with me. I, I feel like as a person, as a, an entrepreneur, as a leader, as someone running a company, starting a company, whatever, the, the worst thing that I can possibly be besides, you know, mean to someone is, is, is someone that um, one comes off and doesn't, you know, like, like, like they know everything too. Um, as someone who um, wants to dominate the conversation or whatever, but, it, but, 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 but on top of all that, I need to be like somebody people can count on. Like I can't be like up, down, back, forth over. I gotta be somebody that people can count on. And so I always am thinking about that whenever, you know, I, I react just like everybody reacts, but when you're run, when stuff is running through me, I have a matrix in my mind somehow, and it tells me to run everything through the matrix before I respond. And I think a lot of people um, may not have that same matrix. And so they, they, you know, it, the thing, the thing that I think I'm, one of the things I'm most proud of is I very, very rarely say something that I later regret having said. Not it, it can happen, but I think a lot of people who come out like fast or whatever, some of the things we've been talking about, they all, they often are they're the people come, Hey man, like I really didn't mean to say that. Uh, you know, I got caught up in the moment or whatever. And I just have a tendency not to get caught up in those moments. So who helped you to create this matrix? Was this a, um, I was having a conversation with a, a lady the other day and, and she was like, well, I keep telling my son all the things that he needs to do and he seems to not be doing them. And I said, well, listen mm -hmm. to me. I'm not going to say her name, but you know who you are if you're, you, she's listening out there. And I said, um, when's the last time that you ever thought back to when your parents tried to tell you a lesson that you actually took as opposed to the, you watching them or observing and she was like, she looked and she was like, oh, and I said, yeah, I mean, most of the time, like my, my wife taught me this, you're not going to hear what someone says. You're not going to see what they do. They're only going to, they're, you're only going to hear where you were at. Right. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. this matrix that you talk about, because when someone said, when someone heard that, all the listeners out there, they hear it 
they're like, he's got a matrix. Okay. How do I get a matrix? So break yeah. down a matrix for us. Where did you get yours and how can someone build theirs? Well, uh, I would say that I got mine through, uh, divine intervention. Um, the way I was brought up, my wife, um, and mistakes. <laughs> That's where it all came from <laughs> because I, you know, I, I, I found that, that over time me reacting to something, um, that, rather than having it run through the matrix rarely benefited me. Like it just, it didn't help the situation. So I didn't, you know, life's about getting what you want and it was not getting me what, what, what I want. And so now, however, this has developed Kelly, it, um, way more times than not ends up getting me what I want. And I don't mean that in a, in a possessional way. I just mean it gets me what I, what I want. So, so help me though, Mike, because like most of the time when you make good decisions, right? So, okay. A person who is all about helping like the underprivileged most of the time was underprivileged, right? Mm -hmm. The people who like to help people with math, a lot of times struggled with math. So tell us about some of the bad decisions that you made that helped you to say, I need to have a matrix because I, 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 and if not, I mean, maybe you're a superhero, Mike, which I think that you are. Um, I mean, yeah, looking at you, you're that. a handsome guy, um, you know, and you seem like a superhero. But also, too, I'd like to know, was there that time that you made that decision? You were like, man, that was the worst decision I ever made in my damn life. You know, I, I don't know if I can point at one thing, although I have made a lot of poor decisions and we can get into those if you <laughs> no, really want to. No, name one of them. Give us but, a specific um, where you made a poor decision, Mike. Like, I, I love that part of, of the, the reality of it because I think yeah. more people are inspired by us screwing up than anything. Yeah. The, well, the poorest decision I probably ever made was, um, well, breaking the law. I mean, that was probably the poorest decision I ever made and it got me into a lot of trouble. How'd you um, break the law? I don't see Mike robbing a bank. So uh, what did no, Mike do? Come on, Mike, tell us. You said nothing's it, off limits, baby. Yeah, nothing's off limits. So, when I, in my first in my first um, job out of college, I was working for a large uh, company in the waste industry, which is where I ended up making my whole career, most of my career, Kelly. But um, like a year and a half or so into it, I got put into a division with. Um, you know, a bunch of all new people. I was a, I was a young guy at the time, 20, 23 or something like that. And I just wanted to do a really good job. And um, that sort of manifested itself in doing whatever I was asked to do. And some of the things that I was asked to do and some of the things that we all did were you know, like we, we uh, falsified records of what we were dumping at certain places, for example, that's one thing. Um, and then we created this sort of whole story around why it was okay to be doing that to ourselves. So we were convincing ourselves, this is, we call it, we called it a gray area. It's a gray area. It's fine. And we had this little like den of thieves sort of thing. And, and again, we didn't think of it that way, but that's what we, you know, we, we got caught up in this thing where we were super smart and everybody else was dumb. And we figured out this way to make this gray area work. And, 
um, you know, we looked, we, it, it made us look and feel like we were something way more than we were, which was breaking the law. Uh, and ultimately, uh, a couple of years after I left that, that division, you know, that, that behavior continued, they got caught, everything got wrapped up in it. I got wrapped up in it. And that was, a that was, you know, there was a, there was a price to pay there. And, um, you know, ultimately I just learned a lot out of making bad decisions from that experience and the whole thing, like ever, you know, I think up to that point in my life, like through growing up as a kid, going through high school, going through college, I sort of had this little chip on my shoulder that, um, you know, I was I, like, I loved being snarky and sarcastic and all of these things. Cause I thought it was funny and, and it probably was at that time, but you know, that, I think that sort of led me into this, to this thing I got wrapped up in because, you know, I was like, oh, I'm smarter than everybody else. And, and I don't think that anymore, not for a minute, not for a second. So, and I haven't for a very long time, even though I still think I can, you know, hold my own with most people. Um, and that, so that was a big turning point for me that, that and that was, that was, the, I think the manifestation of years of mistakes and years of thinking that I was one thing and that were completely wrong. And that changed me. So Mike, do you think that in the event, let's just play devil's advocate here in yeah. the event that you wouldn't have got caught, how long do you think you would have continued on in the behavior? And when I'm saying it, like, I'm not trying to accuse, I'm saying yeah. that I'm that guy too. Like if I could get away with that thing for, a, I used to do this with my parents, you know, if I could get away with not doing it, I was trying to, you know, sure. How long do you think that it would have went on had it not been caught? Or were you starting to think, man, this is my time is just about up. Well, um, moving out of that division and to another place where the things that the things that we were doing just wouldn't work. You know, it was a different state, different environment. They just wouldn't work. So I wasn't doing them anymore. So, but, but all things being equal, like if I had stayed there, Kelly, and just kept working again with this note, with this sort of false premise that, you know, this is just, we're just being smarter than everyone else. We're just taking advantage of a few things that are not so bad. And, and um, I would probably, I would probably have kept doing it because um, I convinced myself and and the folks that I was working with, I think, were equally convinced that it wasn't that big of a deal. And uh, my my guess, I don't have any anything but anecdotal uh, uh, evidence to support this, but my guess is that there's a lot of people walking around, and probably a lot of people talking to this podcast who have something in their life that's similar to that, that, that are, uh, uh, either blind to it or they're choosing to ignore it because it has, because doing, doing, you know, if they, if they, if they didn't ignore it, they would have to face it. And when you have to face it, that's hard. So Mike, let's talk about the dimmer switch. We're, it's crazy that we're talking about this today because we were just talking about it in our men's group this morning and, Oh, no way. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And so okay. we were, we were just talking about this. And so let's talk about the dimmer switch because what you just talked about was the dimmer switch theory, meaning that the dark never comes upon you immediate. 
It's mm. little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit. Before you know it, the sun is set and it's dark. But it doesn't come from like noon to dark right like that. And so a lot of times in business, right? So we're going through or in life in a relationship, we're going through and just this little thing happens. And we're like, ah, I could look past it. And then we go to the next one. I could kind of look past that. And then we get to a point where the advantage of the looking past has become so strong that it's now hard to go back the other way because now we're going to have to dig back through it. Can, yeah. you, can you walk a person through this process because you have been in it, you've been through it, but there's a lot of people out there, and I want to I encourage your vulnerability in it because there's so many mm -hmm. people that won't talk about it, especially men. They'll be like, no, no, I was doing the right thing, and then somebody came along and they did whatever. I love the vulnerability part of it, but can you take us through that dimmer switch and how someone can start to notice and recognize? Because right now, it seems like you can see that little switch. You see it so much clearer now. Am I yeah, correct on this? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And I, I think, I, I mean, ultimately, Kelly, I think it comes down to this. And you sort of referenced it there. So many of us walk through life and we were we are we are looking for somebody to place responsibility for what's happening to us on like so we're like you know everything that's happening to us is unless we want to accept that it's our fault we 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 make somebody else's problem or fault or whatever and that makes us feel good about the fact that we're experiencing it whether we like it don't like it whatever it makes us feel like we have no choice but to experience it. And for me that, you know, I, I live my life now and have for a long time as it's very simple. Everything that happens to me, I'm responsible for. And, or I have responsibility for, I'll, I'll make a distinction there because some things happen and they just happen to you, you know, but I can't, I can't not claim to have the responsibility to do whatever I need to do to uh, walk past through over or even back up on a particular situation in order to get it back where it needs to be rather than like, I, I feel like that kind of owner ownership of, of um, having the responsibility for some, for, for something is one very powerful, but two, it's very easy too because um, I'm not saying that having a responsibility for it is somehow a reflection of, uh, on me, like it's a like it's a fault of mine. It's just a thing. It's just another thing that I have responsibility for. So I have to take action. It forces me to really think through things. Maybe it's that matrix thing again, and then take action towards what I want it to be, rather than what I, I could allow it to be. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So let me ask you this. What is the, give us, give us the blueprint of your matrix. Um, the reason why I say it is because there's some people that have a matrix of like, you know, they, they, most of the time the people that say I have a mantra, um, they, they, they don't live by that anyway. It's just something that they've written down or repeated or heard on a podcast or read in a book and they're not living it, but they're the people who live those kind of things and they run yeah. it through. So my dad would always say, he said, there's only my pops. He would say, there's only one, there's only one question you need to answer in your entire life. 
And I was like, wait a second, Pop, there's a lot more than that, like being in business and marriage and with kids and all these things. He said, no, boy, there's one question you need to answer, and that's it. And I was like, it can't be that simple, Pop. And he said, yes, it is. He said, it's one question. Do you want your best or do you want God's best? And my pop, I could tell you this, for 68 years of his life, well, not all of them, because the early years, he was he was a wild and out crazy man. But okay. for, for the majority of that man's life, he ran every decision through that filter and through that matrix. Is it, hmm. I, do I want my best or do I want God's best? And, and when he came to it, he would always say, I already made the decision that I wanted God's best, so I'm going to ask him beforehand and I'm not going to go do something and then ask him to bless it. I'm going to ask him to bless the steps before I take them. That's his matrix. What's what's Mike's matrix? Um, you know, that, that makeup and for you listeners out there, please write it down, but use it as inspiration because it's Mike's and it probably won't work in your life, but you can be inspired by this man's wisdom. So don't try and mimic, but you can be inspired by it. Go ahead, Mike. What is your matrix? So I was just writing about this in my newsletter um, last week's episode or something, because I've been thinking about this and the, the, like for me now, you know, the kindness thing, the matrix thing, all that stuff, here's kind of what I just distill it all down to. I, when I meet somebody, I give them implicit trust. And when someone meets me, I don't expect them to give me implicit trust. And what I love about that is um, it, 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 it makes it very easy for me to connect with new people, especially, and to um, you know, make a bond with them and create a relationship that is, um, there, there's nothing to it except that implicit trust when I meet them. So it feels like that, to me, it feels like I should, I hope I'm successful with this, but puts them at ease, makes them think like I, you know, I'm a, I'm a caring person who actually has some care and concern for for them as people. But on my side, I don't ever want to think that I've earned that because I want to make sure that I do earn that. That keeps me from getting a big ego. That keeps me from, um, you know, being a, it just, it keeps me grounded. And so, um, well, I hope people like me. I hope they are, they're willing to, you know, uh, give me a chance to earn trust them. I don't expect it. I, I want to earn it. When has it, when is this trust, the implicit trust, when has it burned you, you know? Um, well, all, all the time, just like, you know, I mean, it, it but, but burns you mean, she burns you. When does it not always work out the way I wished it would have? A lot of the time. When does it ever actually burn me? Very, very rarely. And the distinction I'm making there is, do I get disappointed a lot when it comes to that? Sure, that's life. But does it ever like really impact me as a person in a way that I can't move past easily? Or does it ever physically harm me? Very, very rarely. So Mike, talk to us too about like, uh, what do you wish that people knew about what the world refers to as success in business? And the reason I say it is because when I was a kid, 
when I was a kid, I would look at people and they lived in a house or they lived in a neighborhood or they got a chance to be able to go to Disneyland or they got to do mm -hmm. whatever and that we didn't get to do. I was like, man, it would just be so simple if X. And nowadays with social media, a lot of people look at business owners, they look at entrepreneurs like yourself that go out and entrepreneur for me, it just means take risk and eat last, right? <laughs> that's, that's for me, if I could define what entrepreneur was, that's what it would be, take risks eat last all the time but most of the time it's 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 celebrated and it's this shiny exciting thing what do you wish that people knew about the success that you've had in business uh, i guess what i wish people knew more than anything was that i couldn't have accomplished you know a, a, I, I it's probably too much to say any but i couldn't have accomplished nearly as much as I've been able to, uh, to, to, to do without really giving myself and inviting just remarkable people into my life. And then learning how to, you know, first of all, trusting them and then learning how to challenge them in a way that felt good to them. Like they, they, they wanted that challenge. They wanted that expectations. So for me, success is all, and it took me a long time to learn this because I was a very, I was a micromanager. I was a do it all myself type of person, work harder than anybody else. That was what I was like for the first 10 years that I, that I um, was an entrepreneur until I, until I got to a, a spot where I just wanted to quit because I just couldn't do it anymore. And I was just like, oh, fine. I realized through coaching and some other things, Kelly, that um, I was doing it all wrong. You know, I wasn't inviting the right people into my life and giving them the, the autonomy and the opportunity to, to, to move past me and move our company past, you know, where, where it was. So I think the team building part is the thing I would, if anyone wanted to recognize me for anything, and I, I hope I would be worthy of it, but that's what I would want to be recognized for. Because, you know, the, the, the okay, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, money is the most important thing. They think that. I don't know that any too many people really believe that, but they think that because for a little while it does get you stuff that you never had before, and that feels pretty good. Like uh, if you were on the wrong, you know, I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, sort of thing. And now, now I have money to be on the right side of the tracks. That's going to change everything. Well, you, you got to change before the money changes you. But that 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 work. And the inspiration you get from building a team of great people is um, the thing I would want to be recognized the most for. And I'll go back to you know what you were saying about what people think about entrepreneurs. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs um, make people think that because they, you mentioned you know people that might be un, you know uh, unsecure with themselves or whatever. But these you know the people that get up and they whether it's on social media or whether it's in a seminar or whatever. And, and just, I don't know. They're, they're just trying to impress everybody. I just feel like that's so uh, wrong. Um, inspire people. Yeah. Impress them. I, that's a different thing. And I, that, that bothers me a little bit. And I think it takes away from a little bit from the, um, what, what a real entrepreneur is. Can you talk to also Mike, uh, 
a little bit about the pitfalls of founders and CEOs, right? So a lot of times the founder becomes a CEO by default and they're not a CEO. They're not a CFO. They're not a COO. Right. They have no C in their brain, but yeah. they're a founder. So then they go into that C-suite level and I see this happen so often and I fell into it, you know, in our company, I was the founder of the company. And then I was like, well, you know, I got to, I got to be the mayor and I got to be the, the doctor and then I got to be the, the train conductor and then I got to be the taxi cab driver. And then, I, and okay. what, what I found was what you were talking about that empowering people, right? And you found when people had autonomy that they actually wanted to impress you as opposed to where a lot of people say like, if you're not there as an owner, it'll never be the same. And I'm like, it shouldn't be the same when you're there. They should, they should want to because they should be empowered. I learned this through taking lumps. So talk to us, too, about the, that founder CEO and how, how hard is it to get out of the way? Because I think a lot of times founders and CEOs, if they get out of the way, their companies would grow. Yeah. Well, you bring up a couple of things there, and I'll, 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 address, I'll address them. The... Um, uh, my, the first business that I, that I started, we grew that business to um, about $45 million in sales. And it was a pre pretty profitable business. I never once called myself the CEO there because I thought, felt like I was not a CEO, that the CEOs of the world run you know, very large, sophisticated companies. Now, I've come to back off on that a little bit because um, it is complex to run almost any business. There's there's uh, there's complexity to it, but this whole founder CEO thing ultimately what 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 I get a kick out of sometimes is you know people they they start a business they haven't even done any sales or anything but they're calling themselves the founder and CEO and I think to myself maybe that's putting the cart a little bit before the horse like maybe you should just call yourself you know um, like. Uh, I'm trying really hard or whatever the, the right time. You can just call be. yourself Mike at that point. Like, yeah, you know? just call, yeah, just desperate. You can call me. I'm, I'm desperate. Period. I'm, but I'm ready. To, but I'm, but I'm ready to work hard. Um, so I think, I think, but, but, but for me, it was, uh, I never got hung up on founder. First of all, I was just the person that was running the business. I was in, I was responsible for the business. So that's really what I, what I, tried to, to focus on. And even, you know, that was in the, the 90s, early 90s when I started that. And I think this whole founder thing probably is way more prevalent now than maybe it was back then. Even the word entrepreneur, I don't think was used that much back then. It was a bad but, um, word, Mike. Mike, back in the day, it oh, was yeah, a bad you were, word. Yeah. You were a snake oil salesman. Yeah. You were, you know. Right. You were that or you were screwing somebody, right? <laughs> You know, you know why I want, you know, why I got so attracted to the, uh, to entrepreneur, like is because it's it, because it sounded like manure. And as a kid, I was like manure. Ha, ha, ha. And we would laugh and say, cause my dad would say it. This was like a fourth grade. We found out about the word entrepreneur and yeah. you know, it, it, it's amazing. Cause I want to go back real quick because some of the listen, listeners the same way. And for every one of you out there listening and riding with us and supporting us and getting us into the top 1% globally, as far as all podcasts, I want to thank you all. Here's the shout out to every single one of you, the Wayne Freemans of the world. Uh, even though you're a Kansas city uh, chiefs fan, I, I still like you. Um, but 
a lot of people just heard Mike, the stoic guy that said, I'm not stoic, the real calm, chill guy, say that I, just, I built a company to $45 million in the early 90s. And you were like, but it wasn't a big company. So I want, I want you to realize, don't let the smooth taste fool you. If you're listening to Mike and you're hearing him and you're going through, this guy is real. I mean, as real as they come and it's not the money part of it, but it's to understand. But also, too, Mike, you just said $45 million company, and you said it, it rolled off your tongue like, pass me the Wonder Bread. Hmm. Well, I, I, I'm very proud of it. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, you know, we were talking specifically about this, <laughs> this CEO thing, and I, and I just, that's just how I felt. And like I said, I backed off it a little bit because things are, you know, companies are complex, even if they're, you know, not a billion dollar company. But, but, you know, CEO is, is not something that you just, it, look at, look at, put it this way, Kelly, anything you, any title you could assign to yourself, you got to be a little suspect about, right? So it's one thing to have someone assign it to you, um, but assigning it to yourself, I mean, that's not very hard. So I, I just chose not, not to, and I, and I chose not to assign that to myself at that time. I think I that's think, that, that, that humble state, man. I mean, who, who keeps you humble, man? I mean, is it, do you have a bunch of people, do you have a council around you? I feel like it's at Mike's house, it's like the Game of Thrones and you have like the Iron Throne and then there's like seven counselors and they're constantly counseling Mike so he stays in the matrix. I mean, talk to like who keeps you humble, man? Because there's a lot of people who are like, if I could get my company to 10 million a year, 5 million a year, hell, $400,000 a year, I wouldn't be humble. That's where they're, what they're saying. Wow. But you're like, again, you're like 45 million. I know that's not the, the largest. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you have the ability to go off the rails very, very easy. What keeps you on the rails, man? Well, um, this guy named Naveen Jain came on my podcast and he's, um, he's, he's fabulous, fabulously successful entrepreneur. And he said something that really resonated with me and I'm going to steal it from him. He said, you know, at work, I'm an entrepreneur and at home, I'm a dishwasher. And that's what keeps that like, you know, I'm just a regular person who uh, saw an opportunity, like a lot of people see opportunities, um, had that opportunity and multiple opportunities come to fruition in a way that I didn't imagine they would because of the people and the, the people that, that I was able for one reason or another to attract around me. And then the circumstances that they helped um, create often out of thin air um, because that's what they do. And I was just, you know, there and had the opportunity to, to uh, lead them to the extent that I could and in the best way that I could. So there was a conversation the other day that I was having with one of my buddies and I, I asked him, I said, you know, you hear this a lot, uh, especially, but when you hear it most of the time, probably 95, 99% of the time, it's coming from a person who has had similar experiences. Um, all my friends who have exited, right, who have exited mm -hmm. companies, who have sold companies or, or, and, and done it for multiples and, and put themselves in a place where generationally and less something catastrophic like, I mean, the world ending, which we we're saying that and it just happened like two years ago. Um, and then again in 2008. But 
unless something like crazy. I mean, it's talking generational wealth where they don't have to worry about anything. And all of them have this conversation with me. And when we sit down and talk, they're like, you know what? Money isn't the thing and you don't need to be focused on money and stuff like that. And I said, do you have to get to the point where money doesn't matter for you to have that conversation? Or can a person, which I've never heard this before, can a person before they get to that point, have that conversation too? Well, I think the answer to the second question is sure, because there are lots of people without generational wealth who figure out a way for themselves to, um, you know, put money on the back burner and put something else on, on the front. So yeah, I think that's, that's definitely possible. I think, you know, for me, what, when I think about people who have a lot of money, I just think about people who have more options, more options than they have obligations. And, um, I love living my life that way and that I have the opportunity to live with options, not obligations, because, um, it frees me up to, to be curious about and to pursue the things that, 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 have the most meaning for me. And, and of course, I'm hopeful that by doing that, I'm creating more meaning for other people than I otherwise would if I was just focused on um, or living my life by obligations as, as opposed to options. Mike, you just blew my brains out. Oh, options. Sorry. I'll clean no, up. no, it's great. No, I love it. I love it, man. Because when you said I haven't heard it in that way, because the reason why I was saying it is because it a lot of times it's so easy to talk about, well, this part isn't important when it's not really a factor to you, right? Mm. Oh, you shouldn't focus on, you know, working 13 hours a day. This is a, especially in the conversation of today. It's like, you shouldn't do that. You should think about what you absolutely love and then only do that. And if you don't love it, you shouldn't do it. And my mom told me the opposite. She said, if you can't be with the one you love, you need to love the one you're with. And it's not mm. about finding, you know, like, oh, I love uh, drawing daisies on my uh, notebook and that's all I'm ever going to do because I love it. No, it's, it's saying that, you know what, find joy and find that love in what it is that you're doing right now and it will create the opportunities for you. You know what I'm saying? That's right. And But yeah. it's, it's amazing to hear your side of it, of saying like, you know, the, the financial side that... You know, I don't think that a lot of times we hear the uh, the other side. We we hear the person saying, "Don't go after money, don't go after that." And then you have the person like myself that was in a one bedroom apartment with five people growing up that was like, "That's easy for you to say, man. That's really easy yeah. for you to say because sure. you know, here I can't go to the dance, or if I go to the dance, I'm wearing my brother's clothes that he wore before." because we don't have enough money to be able to go and get the, the stuff. It's easy for you to say it's not that. So that's where, like, for me, I, I love that conversation, the options and obligations. Where did you learn that? I, I came up with that when I was, when I was writing my book, um, because, and I didn't call it that at, at the time, but when I, when I learned Kelly, how to, when I was at sort of the bottom there, I call it the valley of uncertainty. But when I was there like 10 years or so into my first business, um, I, I, I 
I had no, everything that I had done that had worked for me over time was now just getting me more and more stuck. Like all the things that had always worked, you know, work harder, work, you know, do everything my, do everything myself, you know, don't, don't rely on other people and all of those things. They had all worked for me, as I said, for a while, for a long time, and then they weren't working anymore. And I didn't know what to do. And I realized that I wasn't, you know, I, I was not living a life of, of, of options. I was living, I created a whole entrepreneurial life of obligations, which was silly. Um, so and it took me, it, it wasn't a light switch. It, you know, uh, it, it was something that just over time you use dimmer before, but like the opposite of dimmer, you know, is when the lights go up a little bit all the time, it's still a dimmer switch, but it goes both ways. Right. And that's what ended up happening to me. And my eyes opened up and this whole thing about building teams and figuring out who could compliment me and all of those things started to turn that ship from one that, um, you know, again, I had made, I, 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 I had made all about obligations. Nobody else did that. Nobody working with me ever said, Mike, this is your obligation to do this. I just made it my own, you know, and they, and, and everybody else was like, I'm just saying this. I didn't, didn't say this, but they were like, well, I guess that's what he wants. <laughs> so that's what you get. Um, so I think that's, where where it came from can you talk to us about the construction that some some people do the when when they start to see success in something uh, i i find that they start to buy materials and then construct their own prison and when mm. i when i say that because i look at you know and and i was i fell victim to this you know at 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 times you know our business took to $300,000 a month to, to stay open. Mm -hmm. And it was because of materials that I had bought. And then I constructed my own prison, meaning that like I had to have X amount be able to come in. And some people were like, you should just be thankful that that much was coming in. I was thankful for that too, but I had constructed, I had constructed all these things around me that caused me to have to be in that spot. So it created so much tension. Whereas when we keep it a little simpler, right? Then, you know, my wife referred to it as the difference between driving a cruise boat or a, a cruise liner and a speedboat. When you want a mm -hmm. cruise liner to turn around, it's pretty tough. You got to tell everybody, right. you got to get ready. There's a big turning radius. You tell a speedboat, speedboat says, stop, turn around, go. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us about the advantages and disadvantages of both? Because there's advantages of the cruise ship because there's massive amounts of capital, things like that, which is awesome. And then there's the, the speedboat. Now, maybe the speedboat doesn't have as much capital, but they could turn whenever they need to. Right. And you're talking about the, that complexity inside of a business. You're not talking about building a life outside of the business that is taking everything from the business and causing that, that's not what you're talking about, right? I mean, I, I think you clear. could, I think we could talk to both. I mean, I think we could talk to both because I think that people fall in into both, right? So, you know, on the one side of it where you said inside of the business constructing it, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. the relentless pursuit of more, I got this, these right. locations and I, I fell into this. I got this location. I need to do another one. I need to do another yeah. one. And even though maybe it'll take from the one for a little bit of time and then it just becomes about the relentless pursuit of more when yeah, do you okay, okay. when do you know mike when it's enough well so what you just described there for me is because thinking instead of why thinking 
So mm. I need I need another location. Why? Why? Because not why and then being able to to you know articulate the strategy around the why, right? It's just a because. Because we can, because we should, because we you know, that type of thing. And that gets people in a lot of trouble. It's got me in a lot of trouble. That's when you think you're smarter than the world or smarter than your competitors or smarter than everybody else. But I would say when it comes to speed and agility, there are, uh, for me, this, this is what I believe is you, you need, so this whole founder thing can keep things agile, right? If the founder mentality stays founder mentality, you can keep things agile, but the, the business is not a vacuum. So keeping things, if, if you think that keeping things agile means no systems, no process, no, um, none of that type of thing, because you're, you know, you're agile and you're just going to, you know, spin on a dime or whatever, you're probably not going to make a very big business or it's going to frustrate the hell out of you doing so. Um, so you, you, you kind of have to, if, I mean, if you want a really big business, you kind of have to get a little bit, uh, cruise shippy, but you want to make sure you got that dinghy or whatever boat, you know, maybe your own tugboat on there that you can put down and turn yourself faster than you otherwise would be able to on your own. That, that's probably not a good analogy, but I just came up with it. So, I love, um, I love the analogy. What's the, what's the advantage of having big business as opposed to having small business? I mean, what, and I'm not saying that one is good or one is bad, but give us the yeah. advantages because you've got to see okay. both. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you. Um, so there, there, there is no good or bad to it, but here's the thing that I think, I think this is a really big mistake. I think it's a huge mistake when people refer to themselves or their business as a small business. I think it's, I think it detracts from what they're doing. I think it, the using the word small makes their thinking small and makes all the people that they say that to think they're small and all the people that are working that business think they're small. And it's just not true. A business, becomes what it's capable of becoming. That's it, bottom line. It becomes what it's capable of becoming. And when you start putting the word small out there, you are basically saying, we don't have the capability to become something more. Now, you can decide you wanna be a certain size or whatever, but that's fine. Just don't call it small because whatever you decide is gonna come with all kinds of complexity and it's gonna come with all kinds of um, um, realities based on the decision you've made and you're going to have to deal with them. That's not small, right? That's just what you want. So to me, if business businesses become as big as they're capable of becoming. And in my world, my job as the leader is to make sure that those capabilities continue to grow all the time. If I'm not doing that, I'm not doing my job as a leader and the business isn't going to become what it's capable of becoming. And that's not going to be right for anybody. Um, that's me. That's my, that's me. I'm not suggesting for a second that that's everybody, but please, if you take that small thing and just toss that in the garbage, because words matter. And I know the, 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 the SBA likes to call themselves a small business administration and every bank's got a small business, whatever, throw that, just throw that thinking away. Whatever business, whatever size your business is, it's a big business. That's it. Now, is it capable of, is it, is it capable at the moment to become what it could be? No, that's your job now is to do that. That's, that's the job. And that's what I, that's, that's how I feel about that. 
So, Mike, the you've seemed to solve the puzzle that a lot of people, or you have that puzzle piece. You know what I'm talking about? When you're making the puzzle and you're looking and you got a couple pieces left and you're like, where is yeah. this piece? Where are they? Yeah. And maybe it's underneath the rug, maybe it fell off, or maybe it's sitting right in front of you and you can't see it. But you seem to have found that little puzzle piece in not only you growing as an individual, but you grow people and you coach people into what they're capable of. That is a superpower. So help us to understand, help me to understand, how do you, when you're such a high performer yourself, how do you get that done through others? What is the process to be able to help people to see what they're capable of? Well, there's, there are going to be very few people who walk into your life, Kelly, um, who on their own are, have, have the highest that have expectations for themselves that are, um, in line with their capabilities. It's just not how we're, it's not how we're raised. You know, after we get out of, you know, kindergarten or the lower school, we're no longer being, you know, like talk to about how curious we are. We're being told to, you know, do this, do that, do this, do that, and you'll be successful. I and mean, all the curiosity goes away from us and nobody's expecting any more of us than they are of anybody else. <clears throat> but when someone comes into your life and in a very non-threatening way, in a very inspirational way, and just in a very matter of fact way, has expectations for you that are um, something that you're capable of at least trying for, it's like, you know, it's like a gift. And um, that's all. So how do you get how do you get the most out of people? Just have expectations for them that are higher than they would otherwise have for themselves. But don't say you have to do this. Just say, I believe in you. I think you can do this. And you do it. And if you fail along the way, no consequence, right? We just learn from it and, and move on. And by the way, I'm not going to come in and save you, you know? So this is on you. You take it to the point you can take it. And if you get it all the way there, great. If not, if you need help along the way, I'll help. And I'm not going to take over. I'm not going to do it for you. And I just feel like um, that, you know, some people will resist that at first because they're just so, you know, used to not having that on them. But ultimately, I feel like the vast majority of the people like it and they want it, but no one's offering it to them and they have a hard time doing it themselves sometimes. So, Mike, who encourages you? Because you're encouraging other people. I mean, that's what I'm hearing from you, right? I'm hearing that you need to encourage people into the place where they're going as opposed to telling them the things that they aren't doing, that they could be right. doing better, that to encourage them of their potential. But who's encouraging Mike on a day-to-day -day basis? I, um, well, I feel like I get great encouragement from my family, uh, Kelly, but um, I feel like, listening to podcasts and reading just other what other people are doing is what I learned so much from that and I and it and they don't challenge me I challenge myself based on what I learn or hear about or what strikes my curiosity and then I'm like okay I want to learn that just like um just like doing my podcast I started that four years ago I'd never I'd never I was such a private person. I would never would have done that. And I just did it because it was a challenge that I thought 
you know, for God's sakes, you got to do something different here to challenge yourself. And I just did it. And I've been doing it ever, ever since. And then that's a really small example, I suppose. But um, I just, I, I'm always trying to, to I'm, I'm always trying to be the best I can be. And I realize that every day, um, my ability to do that grows just a little tiny bit. And if I'm not, you know, back there filling in, um, you know, that, that growth gap, uh, then I'm not doing what I should be doing. So let's flip it on you, Mike. What, what's Mike capable of that the world hasn't seen yet? (laughs) Flip it on me. I feel like every question you've asked me has been flipped on. Uh, what am I, so what am I capable of? Well, I, yeah, like I what, think, what do you, what, no, I mean, not what you think, man, what you know, there's a, you have a lion inside of you. I know you're super chill, Mike, superhero that can encourage people, build $45 million companies and be like, ah, pass the potatoes, you know what I'm saying? And continue on and be able to do the stuff. But what's that thing, that little fire inside of you that you're like, yo, you let me do this. You let the lion out the cage. This world hadn't seen what's going to happen for Mike. What is that little thing? Because, and I know you have it in you. I know you have, I mean, I, I, and it's that, that conversation, that that conversation, you know, and when maybe when someone compliments you with something, then you're in your mind and in your heart, you're like, I mean, I knew that. And it's not coming from an arrogant sense. It's coming Mm -hmm. from a side that, I mean, there's things that, you know, I mean, so what do you see that, the world maybe doesn't see right now that Mike is capable of that would maybe shock some people. Well, I see myself as, uh, I guess it depends on the list, but um, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, whatever, um, bestseller. So I see myself as writing um, more than one bestselling book on one of those lists. That is something that I feel like I'm capable of doing, or sorry, I shouldn't say feel, right? I should stick to your, to your question, that I am capable of doing and that I will accomplish. How's that? I love it. I love it. Um, what do you wish people would ask you? How I'm doing? Wow. When I, you know, like, I don't know, that sounds weird, but, um, I mean, everybody asks you how you're doing, right? Hey, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? But how are, how are you doing? I don't think, I don't get asked that, that often. Um, and I think that's a great way to start a conversation. (laughs) What do you wish the world knew about you, man? Hmm. Well, man, I, it's a, like, I don't know that I got something that, so what do I wish they knew? That almost, that almost seems like something that I, they're either ignoring or that I've kept a secret. And I don't think I'm doing either of those things. So, um, um, that I'm here to help. Well, what about those little things that you have inside of you that you're like, I mean, like the Wall Street Journal thing, you know what I mean? I mean, all of us listening, all of us listening are like, duh, like that's going to happen. 
I mean, if you listen to the podcast and everyone's been listening, if you're listening to it and you've been listening to Mike as a coach, as an author and as an entrepreneur, you're not a guy who's beating your chest saying, I did all this stuff. You're like, nah, I'm just going to tell the story about what I've actually done. Like these things are there. And all of us are saying, like when you say a a Wall Street Journal uh, bestseller or a New York Times bestseller or a USA, all these things, we're like, we're, we're waiting. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's, that's commonplace. What are some of the things that maybe the world doesn't know about Mike that, you know, maybe, I mean, it could be, I mean, whatever it is, like for me, I don't know that I tell that many people that I want to own a bowling alley. And the reason why is because I want to be the guy that walks down the lane. You don't get to walk down the lane at the bowling alley. You know what I'm saying? Like if you go there and you Mm -hmm. bowl, if your ball gets stuck, you wait for that dude, that one dude. And you know the dude. All of us know the dude. He's tall, skinny. He wears a brown shirt that has the bowling alley label on it. And he gets to walk down the lane. And my wife is like, that is no reason to own a business. And I said, yes, it is. I want (laughs) to own a bowling alley, right? So someday... Me and my son, we're going to own the bowling alley and we're going to keep it old school. It's not going to be new. It's going to be cool. It's going to be grimy, dirty. You know what I'm saying? Like, like a bowling alley should be. Yeah. What is, what does the world not know about Mike? Hmm. Well, I don't want to own a bowling alley. I'm going <laughs> to put that, I'm going to put that out there. Uh, you know, um, you know what I would love, Kelly? I think you have this. I do not. I live on a, I live on a lake, but I, I'm, I'm not a fan of the water and I don't like getting in the water very often, uh, like the ocean or the, or a lake. And I, and I, I want to become more uh, that sounds weird, right? But I want to become more as one with the water. I don't know how to yet, but I want, I want, I want to do that. Cause I think there's, I'm missing it. Like an energy and an experience and an entertainment and a feeling by not doing that more often. And I have to put zero effort into it to do it where, where I am. And yet I put a lot of effort into not doing it. So, um, so that's the best I can come up with right now. What do you wish that your family would recognize in you more? The reason why I say uh, it is because I, a lot of times our families, right? Like we're going along, we're dad, we're husband, you know what I'm saying? And we're doing that thing. And we're like, if they would just notice that one little thing, like I did it and I keep doing it, but you don't see it and you don't say nothing about it. You know what I'm saying? Like those are kind of mm-hmm. things that a lot of times as dads or fathers or husbands, you know, dads, fathers, that would be the same thing. Um, but a father or a husband, a lot of times we're, we do something and it's like, eh, I mean, it's what dad does. But what is that thing that when you do it, you wish that you would get a little encouragement? Like, man, you're pretty darn good at that one. I, I wish I were better understood. And what I mean by that is, I seem to be able to, like in the business world or with a lot, you know, with most people outside of my family, I seem to be able to like have a good conversation where I'm clear about stuff. And at home, it sometimes feels like I'm speaking like a foreign language. Like I just, I, I, I completely lose the skill um, 
it feels like sometimes. And I'm not sure why, um, but I wish, if, if I had to wish of something to answer your question, that's what I would wish for. I wish I was, I wish I, I was better understood. What do you, what do your kids uh, not hear from you enough? Ooh, well, I know our, so both of them live outside. They, they both live on their own now. Um, I think, so both of them probably don't hear, I love you as much as they would if they were here living, living with us. Um, you know, I guess, I, I guess that and, you know, all the other things that, you know, how proud I am of them and how much I appreciate the work that they're doing and the impact they've had on our family. I, I mean, all of those things, I probably don't, they probably don't hear that enough. Whatever enough is, it's probably not that. Do you think a person can be loved too much? Okay, so... I'm good. I, my immediate response to that is probably no, but can they be cared for too much? Yes. Ooh. Yeah, you got to explain on that one. Well, I mean, um, do you ever watch the show Arrested Development? Yes. Do, do, are, are you familiar with the, the character Buster, the youngest son of the family? Yes, yes. Um, mm. So his, so he lives with his mom. He's in his forties now. He lives with his mom, who it's not quite clear whether she loves, uh, whether she loves him, but, but she keeps him around and cares for him in a way that keeps him around because she wants him around, not because he deserves to be mm. there. So what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes parents can just, um, I don't necessarily think, think that it's always love. It's just, um, they care too much, meaning that they want to protect their children from anything that could possibly go wrong. And as a result, um, it can be a little confining. And let's just say the expectations aren't as high as they maybe could be or should be. Mike, what, do you, what, is, the, what is the value of in life being able to hear no and keep going? Because I seem to hear this as a, as a common theme uh, with, and again, if you just tune in as your first show, I want you to know whenever I say the word successful, it never means money. It never means things. It means that people are in line with their purpose. And if you just tuned in, you need to go back and listen to the whole entire episode of Mike absolutely dropping bombs of wisdom on us throughout the whole time. But help me to help help me with that, Mike. So the power of no. Yeah, the power of no, because there's so many people, right, that you see that are highly successful at they what they do, meaning they're in line with their purpose and they are flying at a high level, and they're like probably one of the most valuable things that I could do is hear no and keep going. Yeah, yeah, you do hear that a lot. I <clears throat> so um, I spent some time earlier talking about this whole notion of having responsibility for something. So for me, when I hear no, it's and meaning I should stop and I don't want to stop or it's not appropriate to stop. Um, 
I have the responsibility for how I respond to the no. And um, I can I can either accept it or I can figure out a way not to accept it. So sometimes no is the right thing to be told. It's dangerous, or like I wish I was told no before you know I got into trouble, like we were talking about. I wish I was told no many times around that time, and I wish I'd listened. Um, so I'm not I'm not one of these people who go, you tell me no, and I'm going to bust it down because sometimes no is the right answer, but I have to take responsibility for how I choose to 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 uh, to take the no, Kelly, and 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 if the appropriate choice is not to accept it, then um, I'm going to move past it and and do what I think I, I need to do or do what, try what I think needs to be tried. Mike, where's the safe place for you? And uh, the reason why I ask this is, and, uh, and I'll explain it a bit, is when we created the hideout, we wanted to create a safe place for, for high-level people to come in and not, it not be about what they did, but be about who they were. Because most of the time, when you start flying in those circles then you meet someone new and they're constantly on the take. They're looking and seeing how can I get advantage from the success maybe that you've had in your life. And I have a lot of friends who I, I actually protect them. There's a guy out there listening, David, you know who I am. I'm not going to say your last name because I protect you. But David, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And I don't introduce David to many, many people because at the level that he flies at, there's a lot of people that would want to take advantage. But I've known David for almost 30 years now, and I knew him when he started his business, and then I saw him when he exited also. And mm-hmm. congratulations to him on this because it was, it was it was game-changing. But we created the hideout because of that part of it. We wanted people to be safe where they could come into a space. Where is that safe space for Mike? Well, um, I have a couple. So, um, in my, inside my own head is a safe space inside my YPO forum group is a safe space for me and for most things i would say my wife is a safe space for me um so those are the three those are the three that 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 come to mind what does your wife not hear enough from mike um What she wants to, <laughs> what she wants to hear. Mike, Mike, do me um, a favor. She deserves to hear. Do yeah. me a favor. Do me a favor. Look into that. Look into the camera. So you would look into that. So you're okay. looking into the eyes. So she's gonna watch the video. Say her yeah. name and then tell her something that you don't tell her often enough. Okay, um, Jamie. I, I, I mean, the, the thing that I want to say to her is to you. I'm sorry, to you is that I'm so grateful that you've stuck uh, by me for all these many years and through all the many challenges and that we get to, 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 to be together side by side to uh, enjoy the options, not obligations life that we are fortunate to have. Mike, what would you trade it all in for? Hmm. Um, 
So what would you, so would, is the question, what would you trade it for? What would you risk it for? What, no, what, what would you, you, what would you trade it in? So say like, I remember, uh, you know, when I, when I got into the writing and, and the speaking world, I was like, uh, well, uh, th there's, there's a couple of them that haven't, haven't happened yet, but God has given me the vision that will happen, that will come. So the small theaters happened, the, um, the house of blues venue, like three to 5,000 that's happened. Um, okay. the MGM grand and, or the Mandalay Bay event center, which is 10 to 13,000 hasn't happened yet. Madison square garden, 17 to 19,000 hasn't happened yet. And then soldier field, uh, 70 to a hundred thousand sold out hasn't happened yet. Um, but I know that they're happening and I know that they're coming. So if you work for any of those places or you have a convention, you know who to call. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm already prepared for that that part of it. He's ready. Okay. At a moment's notice. But but when I when I started writing, I was like, man, I want to be I want to be publishing Forbes. That was like a big thing. And then it came. And actually, in one year, I got published in Forbes eleven times. And oh. I was I was very excited about it, right? But you know, it dwindles or whatever it was. I could tell you this: every single thing in my professional life, every single thing of it, I would trade every single bit of it if I could have two minutes just two with my pops that's it mm. I would want two minutes with him and I would want to tell him I would tell him uh number one I would tell him thank you um number two the main thing and I would stay on this the, the thank you would be quick so I'd have probably a minute and 45 and in a minute and 45 I would tell him that I am sorry that I didn't call him my best friend for my entire life and I referred to a lot of other people as my best friend to him but he never heard me say that he was my best friend. If I could have that two minutes with my pop, I'd give every single thing that I had ever, ever accomplished and ever will accomplish, I would give it all just to be able to have that time. What would you give it all up for? Why would you, do, why would you, I'm, I'm wondering what was missing. Well, I just didn't like, tell him. Why you I, I get to tell him now. I tell him all the time. I'm at the beach with him. Yeah. And, you know, he passed away in, in December. But I'm just saying, like, you know, if a, a person was to say, like, would you trade this part? I mean, I would. Because I know I could go build it again. I could build all that stuff mm -hmm. again. But to be able to have those couple of minutes, that's the one thing. And it's not living in regret. I don't want you to think that. No listener out there, I don't want you to think I'm living in regret and I'm sad and down. No, I get to spend time with my pop every single morning and he's with me every single day and he always told me that. But I wish that I could just look him in his eyes and be like, yo, pop, you're my best friend, man. I mean, he hears it right now, but that's what, again, I would trade it all in, you know? I mean, I would yeah. go build okay. it again. But what would you, what would you but trade it for, man? So trade it all in, Kelly. You, it sounds to me like you're talking about material things. Trade it all in. You're not trading your life in. Hmm. You're trading, or, or are you? I guess I want to be sure that I understand. That. I don't know. I mean, maybe you're not trading your life. You're not trading your life, man. You're trading it. It. What is it? It is your stuff. Could be. Or, okay. You have a better question than me, man. Yeah. I love, I if love, the, is, I love the, I feel like I just went into the matrix. Yeah. The question went into uh, the matrix and then you were like, you know, I'm not going to answer you. I'm going to ask you that question. You're, that's why you're Mike, dude. That's why you're a superhero. Uh, well, I was, I, I, I wanted to be sure I understood the question. <laughs> if it's material things, cause I, I don't think I can trade my life. I can't, I can't do that. I can't trade my life for my experiences yeah. or whatever. So, so if it's material things, I think, you know, for sure I would trade, like my dad passed away when I was, when he was 60, so 20, 20 some years ago, like that wasn't, 
that wasn't fair. I mean, we, he got cheated out of a, a lot of life and, and, and so did, so did I, his, and my two sisters and my mom was, you know, hasn't remarried or anything since, since then. I mean, it'd be great to have him back. And if that took giving up the material things that, that I have, sure. But I'm not going to give up my wife and my family for that. You know, that's, I'm not going to give up my life experiences for it. So if that's, so that's, I think, unless we dig into this further, that's as, that's as good as I'm going to do on this question. <laughs> I love you, Mike. You're, you're incredible, man. I mean, I, what I love about it too is, is, your consistency through this whole time of us spending time together, I mean, it has been massive. I mean, when we first started off, you talked about the fact that you take things through the matrix. And for those of you realizing that you just got taken through the matrix while you're listening with Mike, he's not, that's why I wanted to have him on the show because he's not a guy who's talking about it. He's a guy who's doing it. And I, I, I applaud you, man, because what you, uh, what you, uh, what you talk about, you live. And you only talk, you, and you're only talking about what you, what it actually, what actually happens in your life. And I, it's, it's, it's so admirable, man, because literally like go back and I can't wait for you. Listen to this with your wife, because you said that at the beginning of the podcast, and then you demonstrated it without telling us that you were about to demonstrate it. You pulled some Jedi on us, Mike. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. I'm game. glad I had the opportunity game. to do it. Man. Thank you. <laughs> Well, um, man, I, I started the podcast because of people like you, man. I, th I think you're one of the iconic people in the, in the world and in my world, especially, um, because for that simple fact that you're doing what you say, like you're, cause there's a lot of talking heads. There's a lot of people that when you scratch the surface, you ain't going to get the same thing as what they had on the surface. They, they put a shiny coat on something. And when you dig down deep, it's not the same. And what, as we've dug down deep today, you continue to get better and better and better and better and better. And I just, I want to applaud you. But, you know, I started, I started this whole show because of people like you, icons in the world. And I wanted to take icons and I wanted to show my kids, Maddox and McKenna, who's now 11. Maddox is 11 now and McKenna's 13. Maddox is a um, absolute superhero, full of joy, joy for life. So talented, so gracious. And then there's mm -hmm. my daughter, McKenna, who's an artist. She is so funny. She's got a sarcastic little humor, uh, uh, you know, sarcastic uh, sense of humor. She is an incredible woman. But I, I wanted to take those two, I wanted to take iconic people, and I wanted to uh, show my two kids that iconic people like you aren't superheroes, that you're human beings, that you've gone through stuff, and you have a phenomenal attitude, crazy work ethic. So what advice would you give to Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use both their names, Mike, it would be awesome. Sure, Maddox and McKenna. Um, your dad said earlier about he, he went through this thing about you know being told to love what you do, and that's you know that's the most important thing in life. And I agree with his um, advice that it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to experience life because experiencing life will lead you to something that you love, um, and waiting for something that you love to come arrive at your doorstep uh, likely won't and you won't know it when it does. Mr. Mike, I want to thank you so much. You have been, honestly, it's been so much fun. It's been so much fun. And do people tell you you look just, I mean, you look so much like uh, the dad from uh, uh, that 70s show? People tell you that? Oh, uh, no. 
Yes, but, dude. And he was on RoboCop okay. first. But if you're watching this, you see exactly what I'm saying. Like, you know, you know exactly what I, I can't remember. What's his name on, on that 70s show? I don't know. You don't know his name, know. but they call him by I his first know. name, the dad, which it, it's going to kill me, but I'll, I'll oh, know what it is. Oh, um, uh, man. I'm sorry. To, sorry. I can't help you. I have to look it up. I apologize. <laughs> I should have been able to come up with that. Well, people, people who, people who are watching the show, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is the time where I thank all the sponsors and I thank all of you out there that have been riding with us since the beginning. I want to thank you so much. The Wayne Freemans of the world, the Brandon Laxtons, um, the Jamie Robinson, uh, Rob Cardenas, my big brother, my hero, my, my everything in the world. And I want to thank every single one of you because with not one paid advertisement on this podcast, we have put, you have all put us in the top 1% globally as far as all podcasts. And I want to thank you for that. Here's my shameless promotion that I've been doing. We made a principal sponsor, my daughter's middle school, which is Aviara Oaks Middle School. And we did this because the drama department needed to be funded. They said they needed $32,000 to do a musical, and my daughter is in drama. And drama has really turned the lights on for my daughter. She found her thing, and she was so sad because she came to me before this uh, year, her eighth grade year, and she said, Dad, I don't want to take drama. I said, why? It's what you love. And she said, yeah, but we're not going to be able to do a musical. I said, why? And she said, because our school doesn't have funding. I said, well, what I want to tell you is find out how much money they need, and we'll go get the money. I said, Daddy's got really, really cool friends, and Daddy's got a pit bull mentality that will lock his jaws onto whatever it is that uh, he, he desires and then won't let go until you either uh, let me have what I want or you kill me. And I told my daughter, I said, I want to go through this principle with you, and I want to show you that I'm locked in, I'm committed to it. And I want to thank every single person out there that has donated, your, whether it be your money or your prayers or your thoughts, because in the last uh, two weeks, we have raised over $8,000 uh, or, or just under $8,000 towards our $32,000 goal. And I want to thank every single one of you. The link is in the bio. Uh, support my daughter, not only my daughter, but uh, the performing arts, because every one of us during the pandemic had a challenging time. And what did we do? We turned on Netflix, we turned on Disney Plus, we turned on Hulu, and what did we watch? The performing arts. And this world wouldn't be around without the performing arts. And so I want to make sure that that is first on the list, not the first to be cut like it has been. Um, so that's my shameless promotion for my daughter. I want to thank you, Mike, because you have been absolutely, like, above above all expectation man and you are you are incredible i want to have you on uh i want to have you on for another episode i'd like to have you on multiples and um i just think that you're an incredible incredible human being and i want to thank you so much for your time man yeah it's been my pleasure i really do i took a year but i'm glad it did because it was needed <laughs> extra special so thank you so much for having me on kelly it's been great really really appreciate it great questions and very you know i love the way you do your show it's really cool well, I, I tell you, Mike, I'm going uh, to tell you, like I told Bill Bloom, I'm going to force you to be my friend for the rest of your life. So there, you can't go anywhere. Um, also, too, you're going to be on the show multiple times because so many people have been uh, thumbs upping and the hearts and all those things have been going through. And we want to thank you, Mike. You are, you are a, uh, an example not just a talking head, but an example of integrity in this world. And um, I want to move in my life more towards options and less towards obligations. And I just there wanna, you go. I want to I want to thank you, man. And you are officially off the hot seat.